Hey guys, good morning. That was so weak. That was bad. It's the fasting already, isn't it? It's already taking its effect. No, um, so glad that you guys are here today. As Pastor Ivan mentioned, we are kickstarting a fast today, and I think some of the setup team has already found a loophole. I'm told that they are starting the fast after service, so whatever, you know, they're just hanging on till the last minute, but. Uh, guys, I want to tell you, if you've never fasted before, maybe you're not even sure what that means, you're not sure how to do it, we have got on our website and then on the app, the church app, we have got a resource on fasting that'll give you all the information you'll need. Also, I want to tell you, if any of you have questions, I'll be around after service, would love to answer those. And so maybe you know exactly what it is you're going to fast for the next 21 days. Maybe you're still a little unsure or it's your first time and you're in intrigued by the idea of fasting, I'll just say it's not too late. You guys can get started when our setup team does in, in about 30 minutes, okay? So anyway, um, let me tell you about the power of fasting. I'm not going to share long, but I, I want to share this story. Last year, I had a lady come to me and she said, Pastor Andrew, I've gone to church for a lot of my life, I've kind of been in and out, but for a lot of my life, I've been in church. And she said, I've read devotionals, I've heard sermons, but it was all pieces and fragments of Scripture. It was like I knew a lot of the Bible, but I didn't know how it all fit together. It, didn't, it wasn't streamlined for me. And then this fast came, and I pushed some stuff away. I pushed some desires away. I think she, I'm not even sure what she gave up, but it might have been social media or Facebook or, or uh, TV or whatever it was. She said, I had more time to spend in the Word and man, it's amazing how it's just all clicking for me now. And I love that, guys. That is, here's what that, that is, Holy Spirit revelation. When God reveals something to you through his word, that is revelation. And that only comes by the Holy Spirit. And that comes when we're willing to push some things away and we're willing to press into God. And so that's what we're going to be doing over the next 21 days. Again, I want to encourage you to join us as we do that. Uh, before I jump into the sermon, I just want to say a word about the young lady who sang for us this morning, Miss Ruby Lutze. She is incredible, and she's taken a little, had some stuff going on in her life, and so today was the first time in a while she's done a solo. Can we give it up for Ruby? So good. Here's the other thing. Man, it is so easy in, a, in, a, in an atmosphere like this where God has put so much talent in one place, it is easy to get spoiled. And so God, help us to always remember the wonderful gifts he's given us, like Ruby, like our worship team, like all of you guys. So anyway, super grateful for what God's doing in this place. Let's get into it. We are in a series called Chain Reaction. And in this series, we've been working a formula. You know if you've been here. Let's put up the formula. Here it is. This is what we're doing. We know God has called us to share our faith. The Great Commission tells us in other places, God tells us to share. Be ready to give uh, the reason for your hope. Be ready to defend your faith. And so the way we do that is high potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. Today we're talking about clear communication. And here's what I know. Here's what I know. This is the toughest one. 
As you look at those, I think most of us in this place would be like, yeah, I can be salt and light. I can live for Jesus. I can, you know, tr as best I can, I'm going to try to live out what Scripture's teaching. Yeah, I can do all that stuff. I can even be intentional about having unsaved people in my life. But wait a minute, Pat. You want me to tell other people about Jesus? For some of that, the thought, even just the thought of that can bring anxiety. It's like, oh man, I don't know and I'm not sure. Maybe you don't feel like you understand enough. Maybe you don't feel like you're ready. Whatever the case may be, clear communication can be tough. And then here's the other thing. If I share about Jesus, if I talk to somebody about this, is that going to change the relationship? Like, will they think differently of me? Am I going to have to walk on eggshells around them now? Because I can't be perfect. And so now that they know, like, I love Jesus, are they going to expect more? And so it just gets to be this kind of dicey situation. It can bring on fear and it can bring on a little bit of anxiety. And so for many of us, we've employed the approach Tell me if you don't, well, actually, don't tell me if this is you. But for many of us, we've employed this approach. Well, I won't deny Jesus. And so if they ask me, I'll tell them. But if they don't ask me, I'm just going to try to live it out. I'm just going to try to be good. And if they ask me, then I'll say something. Have you guys ever heard that saying, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. That's what that reminds me. Lift your hand. If you've ever heard that, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Yeah, a lot of us, a lot of us. I understand. I really do. I understand the sentiment behind that. And it's good. It's sweet. Point people to Jesus with your actions, your reactions, the things you do. You want to be pointing people to Jesus. But if we look at that statement, just like on its face, standing alone, Preach the gospel, use words if necessary. The problem with that statement is, it's not biblical. It's not biblical. And, and for many of us, we use it as a cop-out not to share our faith. Well, this has given me the license. As long as I live it out, as long as I'm a moral person, then I don't have to share. And that is never what Scripture intended. That's why we said in the very first sermon that high potency, being salt and light by itself is not enough. In fact, scripture urges us, we are to teach people, we are to tell of the good news, we are to witness about what God has done in our life. So preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Words are necessary. Words are necessary. I love this quote by Lee Strobel. He said, I've seen far too many Christians who are more than willing to travel halfway around the world to volunteer for a week in an orphanage, but cannot bring themselves to take the personal risk of sharing Jesus with the coworker who sits day after day in the cubicle right next to them. Guys, I'm going to tell you, let me tell them myself. I... I have been guilty of this. I am not, as, as I say that, I am not trying to beat up on anybody. I am not here to point a finger and say, you guys need to get better. I'm here to say, this is hard. I recognize that. And we all need help. We all need some help. And so that's why this fast is so important. 
During this fast, one of the things that I am praying for and I want to ask you to pray for, encourage you to pray for, is Holy Spirit boldness. That, that we would ask the Holy Spirit to fill us with boldness so that we can do what it is that God has asked us to do so that we can share the love of Christ, so that we can share our faith. And so in the process of preparing this week, I came across some research. Here's a statistic. 47% of millennials, 47% think it's wrong to share your faith. Not hard, not, not, it's wrong. They think it is wrong to share your faith. I wish I could say I'm shocked by that, but I'm really not. You look at our culture, you look at the way things are going in our society, and the pervasive attitude is I'm okay, and you're okay, and we're all okay. And I'm going to live my truth, and you live your truth, and you live your truth, and we'll just all try to get along together. But if we believe Scripture, if we believe the Bible for what it says, Scripture makes some pretty bold claims about it being the source of absolute truth. And so if we say something that is against what Scripture says, we are wrong and God is right. May, may man be found to be a liar and God is always true because Scripture is absolute truth. And so if you think of it in those terms, if you look through that lens, then the most helpful thing, the most compassionate thing, the most loving thing we could ever do is to share our faith with someone else. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes into the Father except through Him. How horrible of a person do you have to, how wicked do we have to be to know if there was a fire in this building and there were one exit and we knew where the exit was, how much would we have to hate the people in this room not to tell them where the exit is? And again, I'm not trying to cast stones. I'm not judging it. I'm just saying when we look at it through, those, through that lens, sharing our faith is not wrong. It's compassionate. I saw one more statistic, and it's this 2% of churchgoers invite people to their church. 2%. We actually spent some time with a pastor. Uh, our staff did. Our staff spent some time with a pastor. And he doesn't pastor very far from here. It's about an hour away. So I'm not going to say his name or the name of his church. But he began to share with our staff. He said, guys, I don't know what to do. Any, any help you have would be so welcome. I preach on inviting people to church. I preach on sharing your faith. And when I do, my congregation puts their head down. They, they look down. They look away. He said, and so I thought maybe preaching is the wrong method to engage them. Maybe I, should, maybe I should have personal conversations. And he said, the more I've done that, the more discouraged I've become because I try to have personal conversations with people and they always deflect and they always divert and they always tell me why they can or won't or couldn't or... And he basically looked at us and said, guys, I'm so discouraged. What do y'all do? How, how does it happen? 
And as he asked that question, I was so, so glad Pastor Jim was in the room. Because in that moment, my mind didn't go to what answer could be helpful to him. My mind went to each and every one of you guys. I thought, God, I am so grateful for the people of the bridge and specifically the people of the bridge, Mount Olive, because you have shared stories about how you are inviters. You've shared stories about people you have talked to about your faith and engaged with about spiritual conversations. And so I know you do this. And I just want to say I'm so grateful. The reason I brought that stat up is because arguably, if, if you're not comfortable sharing your faith, then maybe you're at least comfortable inviting them to your church. And hey, there, there's a pastor there. He can talk to you, even if I don't feel like I can. And so anyway, I just want to say thank you that you guys are inviters. I love that. And we've given you some invite packets, and I know you're going after it. Talked to one lady this morning. She said she's already run out of invite cards for Easter, so we love that. But today we're going to hone in on sharing our faith, and we're talking about clear communication. And so I want to give you four approaches to sharing your faith, four approaches to clearly communicating your faith with someone else. There's a lot more than four. We could have given you eight or 10 or 15, but I thought you guys may want to go eat lunch at some point. So we're just going to do four, okay? Number one, number one, the confrontational approach. Confrontational approach. Now, as I say that, here's what you might be picturing. You're picturing a guy on a sidewalk who's got some signs and he's screaming. He's screaming some really beautiful things like, Turn or burn. Get right or get left. Y'all ever seen some of those guys? Anybody ever seen some of those? This past December, I went to a Panthers game, and um, I was leaving the stadium. The game was over, and going by, and you know, you're just kind of moving with the crowd, and, and there was a free spot, and I was so glad not to be bombarded by people so I just went to the free spot and then I realized why it was free immediately to my right there is this sidewalk preacher he's got a PA system and so I walk into the danger zone there I am in his zone and so he points to me and he says you're going to hell and the only thing I could say is no sir you're in the wrong place the Cowboys play in Dallas I don't. <clears throat> but we had lost that night, so I didn't feel super. Anyway, I didn't say that. In that moment, I was like, whoa, this has never happened to me, number one. And I was speechless. And so I just kept walking, you know. I was like, well, let me get out of here. I hate to bother him anymore. <laughs> there may be some other people he needs to identify, you know. I thought, this guy knows nothing about my story. He doesn't know who I am. He, doesn't, he has no idea. That's not what we're talking about in the confrontational approach. Let me show you an example from Scripture. The Apostle Peter, he does this. It's the best example I could find in Scripture. I think it's pretty good. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22 and reading through verse 24. Here it is. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him 
as you yourselves know. Translation, don't act like you didn't know Jesus was something special. He taught among you. He did miracles among you. He was here, and you couldn't explain why he had such power, and you couldn't explain how he was able to do the things he did. And there was this overwhelming sense among all of us that there's something special about this guy, and we think he's from God. And so with that in mind, verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. You did it. You were the one. You shouted, crucify him. The blood is on your hands. You put him to death. And so now let me tell you about Jesus. You did this by nailing him to the cross. Verse 24, here's the good news. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter gets so direct and so intense and so in your face in that moment. And you put him to death. And guys, I'm telling you, as you read, as you read about Peter, you see this was just his personality. This is who he was. This is how God wired him. And maybe this is how God wired you. And the confrontational approach is, is yours as well. This confrontational, this is the reason why Whenever that guard came up on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he came away without an ear because Peter was ready for the conflict. Peter was ready for the fight. And so this suits his personality. He tells the people just very directly what they had done. But look at the result. It's not anger. It's not being mean or being cruel to someone for no reason. Go down to verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now think about this with me for a moment. Maybe some of you are here today. This just kind of hit me. Maybe some of you are here today, and you feel like, I don't know that God, I mean, I've just gone so far. I've done so much. I don't know that God could use me. You know, Pastor Ivan talked about we all have a gift and God wants us to employ. Maybe not. Pastor Ivan, just like that sidewalk preacher, didn't know what me from Adam. But I'm telling you, if Jesus was willing to offer forgiveness to the very people who crucified him, how much more so is he willing to offer forgiveness to you? Why would he withhold this gift from you? He won't. And so Peter tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And 3,000 people that day asked for forgiveness and met Christ. That was how it was done in the Bible in modern times. Anybody know who I'm talking about when I say Kirk Cameron? Anybody know who Kirk Cameron is? Yeah. Some of you, it was mostly ladies, which I understand. In the 90s, he was kind of a heartthrob. I get that. Maybe some of you. He was on the show Growing Pains. Well, since that show, if you, if you don't know, 
Kirk Cameron is a devout Christian. He loves Jesus. And so he partnered with this evangelist uh, named Ray Comfort. And they go out and they do what's called the way of the master. I'm not going to go into it a whole lot, but I'll just say, if you want to see what a confrontational approach that works looks like in our day, go to YouTube and check that out, the way of the master. And it is some good stuff. But that's the confrontational approach. Let's go to the next one, number two. The intellectual approach. The intellectual approach. The Apostle Paul was the guy on this one. He was able to explain things in a way that people could understand them. He was able to talk about truth in a way that was reasonable. And so let's look at it. Acts chapter 17. We're going to read verses 2 through 4. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days... Look at these words that are underlined. He what? Reasoned with them from the scriptures and he went through and he gave an orderly defense. He went through and he explained. You've heard this all your life. Let me tell you what this means. You know this scripture. You see this. Here's how this fits in to Jesus. And so he explained and proved what? that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and quite a few of the prominent women. There are people who don't want to make a blind leap of faith into Christianity. They, they have some questions. That's not wrong. In fact, that is very wise. And so we don't spurn those people. We don't push them away. They need to connect with someone who can take this intellectual approach. I tell you who really does it the best that I've seen in our day, Lee Strobel and Josh McDowell. And I listed a couple of their books up here, but really all their stuff is so so good. And they are excellent at giving this intellectual approach. You have questions. History verifies the resurrection. We can, let's talk about your, uh, let's talk about your hangups and let's answer those questions. That's the intellectual approach. So confrontational, intellectual, number three, the service approach. Service. This one is exactly like it sounds. We're going to serve others. As we invest in people's lives, as we help them and bless them, then that takes our relationship deeper. And then we've got opportunity to share with them about something that is the most intimate thing we could ever share with anybody, our faith. And so in the Bible, in Scripture, Tabitha used this approach. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha who was always doing good and helping the poor. And I'm not going to keep reading, but let me tell you what happens after verse 36. Tabitha dies. Evidently, Tabitha dies kind of suddenly. Everybody around loved Tabitha because she had spent so much of her life pouring into these people, doing things for these people, loving on them. And so they're heartbroken. So they go get the Apostle Peter and they say, you've got to come pray over her. You've got to do something. And so Peter comes. He gets everyone out of the room. He shuts the door. He prays over this precious woman of God. And she comes back to life. 
She comes back to life. And what you see next and in the following verses, people are giving their heart to Jesus. There were a great number of souls saved. Why? Two reasons. One, because of the miracle, obviously. The people saw her dead and now she's back to life. But also, because they loved her so much, because she had invested time and time and time and time again, and these people had a relationship with her. And so this service approach, it works. Pastor Ivan shared a story with me on Monday. He said, dude, you'll never believe what's been happening in my day. He said, man, so one of the guys at work, Pastor Ivan preached for me a couple weeks ago, and uh, he said one of the guys at work in front of everybody asked me, hey, you did that preaching thing, was it this Sunday or last Sunday? He said, it was last Sunday. Oh, cool, how'd it go? And he's asking in front of the whole office, and so he said, well, it, it went well, and God blessed. And, here, and so Ivan begins to briefly share with his coworkers what he had preached on. He said, Pastor Andrew, it was insane. The rest of the day, people kept coming in my office and they're like, hey, I've got a question. And hey, I've always heard the Bible was kind of tainted. Can you tell me about that? And so, you know, be careful what you ask for a little bit. So, but Pastor Ivan said, he had, I know what happened. He's invested in these people. He's invested and invested. And then there was a diving board. There was an opportunity to talk about Jesus and he was able to jump in. It happens. That is why this approach is so good. Read this quote by Cal Thompson, then we'll move on. Love talked about is easily ignored, but love demonstrated is an irresistible force. Love talked about is easily ignored, but love demonstrated is an irresistible force. Now, here's what I know. As I've been talking about these different approaches, the confrontational approach, the intellectual approach, the service approach, maybe you're like, I don't know if I can do any of those. Pastor Andrew, that sounds even still, appreciate what you're saying. I, even that's a little bit scary. This last approach, this is for everybody. Any single one of us can do this. Here's what it is. The testimonial approach. Testimonial prayer. Here's all you do. You share your story. You share, hey, this is what's happened to me. One of the best examples I know of this is actually in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, there's this man who was born blind at birth. And so he's been blind all his life. Everybody in town knew him. And Jesus and his disciples come on the scene. And his disciples asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, why is this man blind? Who sinned, him or his parents? Jesus said, nobody. It's a sin-cursed world. We live in a world where bad things happen. And it's not the devil. It's nobody's fault. It's just because this world is not perfect. We're not in heaven yet. Maybe that's a word for somebody in this place. Bad things seem like they just keep coming your way. And you're like, what did I do? How do I get right with God? I need help. And it's not a product of anything wrong you've done. Now, maybe it is. You need to check your life first a little bit, but, but maybe it's not. It's a sin-cursed world. And so that's exactly what Jesus says. And so Jesus does this very compassionate thing. He heals this man of his blindness. In the next few verses, we see that he begins to go in town, and he's walking through town, 
And people begin to say to him, this is the Pastor Andrew paraphrase right here. People begin to say to him, has anybody ever told you you look like the blind guy? Dude, I think you have a twin. You should go out. There's this house. It's like by the oak tree, you know. Anyway, they're like, you look just like this guy. And the blind man says, that's because it's me. I was blind and now I can see. And they're like, whoa, that's crazy, dude. Give me a high five. That's, again, we're still in the paraphrase. And so they, they're excited for him. But then he shares how, how did you receive your sight? He said, Jesus healed me. And then they dive a little deeper and they find out that Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. And immediately they knew, these people in the community, these people in the town, they knew that the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, they knew that the Pharisees didn't like Jesus and they knew you were supposed to rest on the Sabbath. And so they cannot wait. They leave this blind man and they immediately run to the Pharisees because now they have this juicy piece of gossip. Can't wait. And they get there, and they tell the Pharisees, and the Pharisees demand that this guy come. And they start asking him questions. You're the blind man. How did you? Tell us what you know about this Jesus. Tell us what you think about Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if I've been blind since birth, and someone heals me, I don't care which one of you it is. I don't care. I'm going to say nothing but glowing things about you. I mean, you are tops in my book. And so this blind guy, well, this formerly blind guy, he tells the Pharisees, I think he's a prophet. He, that he could not have said anything more offensive in that moment. And he didn't even probably understand all the implications of what was happening. But he says, I think he's a prophet. I just love him. Do y'all know Jesus? Are you guys buddies? And they quickly get him out of their presence. But the story doesn't end there. So what happens next is these Pharisees send for this man's parents. They want to know, is this really your son? Is this some kind of like doppelganger? Has Jesus found a twin and now he's healed him and now he wants to get some credit for a miracle? And so they bring this guy's parents in. Look in chapter 9. Look in the text. They are so fearful. They are absolutely terrified of the Pharisees. And so they come in and they agree to come. But here's what they're doing. They basically plead the fifth. They say, we are this person's parents. We are his parents. We can confirm that. But beyond that, you just need to ask him because he's an adult. He's of age. Just talk to him because we want to be out of it. And so in the middle of all that, I mean, you kind of get the sense there of how these Pharisees were looked at. And so in the middle of all that, read with me, or actually I'll read it to you, verse 24 and 25. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. In other words, now before, we don't know if we believe what you said before, but, but be honest with us. God is our witness right here. He's in this place. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. They're talking about Jesus. They're saying, hey, we know Jesus is a no-good scoundrel, so be honest. 
The blind man said, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. And I love what he says next. But I was blind and now I see. Like, I don't, I don't know doctrine. I don't know theology. I don't know much about what you guys believe. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what, gee, he may be a sinner. But I was blind and now I can see. I was blind and now I can see. If he would have started talking about theology or doctrine, they could have argued that with him. But he said, let me tell you my story. And so, guys, the thing I want to challenge you with, and I say this in closing, the thing I want to challenge you with in this world of 15-second ads and 30-second commercials and where information just comes at us all the time, we have to be ready to give our testimony in a very succinct way. The challenge I have for you is to think about how you would share your testimony if you had a long elevator ride. Think about it as like a two-minute testimony. And follow the blind man's approach. Here was my life before Jesus. Then I met Jesus and everything changed. And here's what my life has been like since then. Nobody can tell you you're wrong. It's your story. They don't know. Your story is powerful because it it is a record for you of what God has done in your life. It's your story. And part of the reason why God saved you and God redeemed you from eternal damnation is because he wanted you to share your story, to tell the good news, to clearly communicate. And then, and then when we do that, when we give them that two-minute testimony, if we can pique their interest in that amount of time, they'll give us longer. They'll want to hear about it. They'll want to know. They'll want to, wait, am I missing out on something? I need to hear about this. And so again, I just challenge you as we talk about clear communication, if you don't do anything else, if you don't walk away with anything else from today's message, my prayer, my hope, is that you would begin to think about your story and how you could tell it in two minutes. If somebody were gonna give you two minutes of your time, and I know, I know as we talk about clear communication, it can be hard and God's gonna have to stretch us and I'm gonna need some of that Holy Spirit boldness. But here's what I know. When you tell someone about Jesus and they trust him with their life, when they go all in for Jesus, you will never want to stop. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I've said it already. I've acknowledged that, that this can be difficult, that in a lot of ways as we talk about telling others about you it may come across as judgment we're, we're worried about how it might be seen we're worried about how to do it well and what if they answer ask questions God I thank you that we don't have to be an expert in theology we don't have to be an ex- expert in how the world was created and if there were dinosaurs we don't have to know every aspect of theology and doctrine and every single scripture You just want us to bear witness. That's what your word says. Be my witnesses. 
You want us to tell other people our story, what you've done in our life. And God, as I, as I think about the people who are in this room, I know that you have done some amazing things, that you have met some of these people in dark places and sinful places, and you have pulled them out of the muck and the mire. And you didn't do that so that they could enjoy a, an abundant life here and have eternal life with you in heaven only. You did it because of those things, but not only because of those things. God, you also did it because you want us to share. And so God, I pray right now for each and every person in this room that we would have a boldness that comes only from your Holy Spirit, that we would tell others the reason for the hope that lives inside of us. I pray it all in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen, amen.